This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Game of Thrones and A Song of Ice and Fire author George R. Martin has been inspired by a variety of writers from Shakespeare to Tolkien to Lovecraft, but an influence on him that's arguably even greater is real world history. The conflict between the Starks and Lannisters has a lot in common with the Wars of the Roses that began with the Yorks and Lancasters, for example. HBO is premiering House of the Dragon Season 1. Set 200 years before Game of Thrones, it features a civil war reminiscent of the Anarchy, which came to the UK when King Henry I died without a living son. History of Westeros podcast has been obsessively putting out episodes on this and all sorts of related topics for 10 years now. Books and shows. All of it. Sometimes with prepared discussions, sometimes with a script, sometimes with both. We have interviews with the people most involved, like George R. R. Martin himself and showrunner Ryan Condal. George has said he designed his books to be read over and over. So, we have. You can find us on any podcast or video platform. That's right. Check out History of Westeros podcast wherever you listen to podcasts or wherever you watch videos. In 1324 BCE, around October, two men stood in the Valley of the Kings. They wore long, loose-fitting robes of high-quality linen. Their hair was shoulder-length, composed of thick black curls that may have been braided. One of them wore a short beard off the chin, cropped close. Their skin might have beaded with sweat in the sun and the heat. Then again, they may have been relatively comfortable, shaded by parasols and ostrich feather fans. The men, you see, were royal officials, wealthy, privileged, and powerful. They were in the Valley of the Kings on a mission from the pharaoh himself. A mission of secret but vital importance. The men stood before a low cliff facing southeast. Beneath them, workers were clearing debris from a door, the entrance to a tomb lay before the men. It was a royal tomb, the burial of a king. They were here to inspect it. The two men were named Maya and Jehuti Mose. They worked in the government of Hor-em-Heb, king of Egypt. Maya, a high-ranking official in charge of royal assets, was responsible for the Valley of the Kings. And Jehuti Mose was a local manager a controller of royal assets in the city of Waset, or Thebes. These men had come to the Valley of the Kings on Horemheb's orders. They were to inspect the tomb of King Tutmose IV. Tutmose IV, pharaoh of Egypt, had died about 75 years before this day. In that time, the king had lay in his tomb surrounded by treasures and provisions. 
But now, there was some concern about the security of that tomb. Three quarters of a century after his death, Tutmose's slumber may have been disturbed. Robbers might have penetrated the monument. Horemheb dispatched Maya and Jehuti Mose to assess the situation. They would go to the burial of Tutmose IV and check on its status. If the tomb was violated, they should discern the extent of the damage, how much looting had occurred. And if necessary, they should restore the monument to a satisfactory state. This is how, in 1324 BCE, Maya and Jehutimos found themselves in the dry, dusty hills of the King's Valley. Soon, the workers finished clearing debris from the tomb. Already, it was clear that Tutmose IV had suffered disturbance. The tomb's entrance was broken, at least partially open, and robbers had tunnelled inside. Alas, these suspicions were correct. Maya and Jehutimos would need to restore the burial. The two officials and their servants gathered up their tools, ropes, chisels, candles, and torches. They gathered up their skirts and crossed the threshold. They passed into darkness, descending into the crypt. The tomb of Tutmose IV, KV-43, is a classic 18th dynasty style. It has long passages descending into the cliff, and a deep well shaft at the bottom. Then, the halls turn sharply, 90 degrees to the left. Another passage follows, leading to an antechamber. In that antechamber, the tomb, once again, makes a sharp 90 degree turn to the left. The effect is like a corkscrew, going down into the earth. The purpose of this design is unclear, but there's a decent chance it represents the Duat, the land of the dead, Beneath the horizons, the Duat is the land in which pharaohs and Ra journey during the night. Tutmose's tomb and other royal monuments may replicate that idea in their architecture. Maya and Jehutimose would encounter various obstacles on their journey into the monument. One feature of the Duat is its barriers. Throughout the netherworld, obstacles and gates would greet the deceased. Naturally, these barriers appear in the tomb as well. First, there was the well shaft, a deep pit at the bottom of a passageway. They had to cross that shaft to reach the main halls. Then, there were doors. Wooden barriers closed many of the passages. These doors would have handles, tied together with ropes, and mud seals would hold those ropes together. The doors are gone today, but the door sockets remain, in the stone of the tomb. So we can imagine that Maya and Jehutimos would inspect each barrier. They would check the seals on the ropes. At each threshold, they encountered the same story. The ropes were cut. The seals were broken. Every hall was violated. The officials went at least as deep as the antechamber. This hall, just outside the burial chamber, was the waiting room for the deceased. We're not sure if Maya and Jehutimos went deeper, but I think it's a fair bet. If robbers had broken this deep, and we know they did, then they probably went the whole hog. Chances are, when the officials entered the antechamber, they found the doors of the burial hall open. Before them, the pharaoh's burial lay visible. 
As Maya and Jehuti Mose made this journey through passages and halls, they would have seen many treasures and tools. Like most kings, Tutmos IV went to his grave, accompanied by a vast array of burial goods. Some of those items survive and are in museums today. On that basis, we can imagine the treasures that greeted Maya and Jehutimos, the gold and the symbols that glinted in the dark. First, they would have seen a vast amount of pottery and stoneware. Beyond the treasures and the gold, the first priority for any burial was supplies. Stone vessels, pottery jugs, amphorae, contained all manner of oils, wine, perfumes, beer, and creams. The vessels were stone or terracotta pottery, and if the tomb was plundered, many of these were likely smashed. Hopefully, the inspectors did not cut themselves on ceramic shards, or stub their toes on stone vessels as they crept into the hall. Other items were a bit more impressive. As Maya and Jehutimos entered, the candles probably lit upon a chariot. Tutmos had a magnificent war cart in his burial. The chariot is wood, but originally it was covered with gold, and it bears images of the pharaoh. Tutmos IV strides the surface of the chariot in the form of a sphinx. He tramples foes beneath him, raging against the enemies of Egypt. There was also a throne, an ornate wooden chair, like the chariot, it bore images of the king as a sphinx. Tutmos with a lion's body rampaged against his enemies. On the other side, the goddess Sakmet, lady of war, raised an arm to anoint the king, while the ibis bird, Jehuti or Thoth, stood behind. These images of battle, the lady of war, and the lord of wisdom adorned Tutmos's throne. Tutmos also took a suite of riding equipment into the next world. There were saddles, leather trappings, and decorative elements for the chariot scattered around the room. There were weapons, including a sword scabbard, mace heads, and a battle axe. There were chairs, boxes, and various bric-a-brac. If the tomb was plundered, much of this would probably be scattered around. The hall might have been a mess. Careful where you step. Finally, there were statues, large pieces, made of wood but decorated with gold and glass, would have adorned various parts of the tomb. Some of these statues survive. There is an image of the king, raising his arm to hunt with a spear. There is a cow and a panther. There is a statue of Sakmet, the lady of war, seated upon a throne. There are guardian statues, holding scepters to protect the burial chamber. And of course, there are Shabtis, those tiny statuettes made to serve in the Duat. All these treasures, and perhaps much more, would have greeted Maya and Jehutimos as they entered Tutmos's hall. We don't know exactly how rich the burial was, but these are the items that survive to this day. Chances are the royal inspectors saw all of this as they went into the tomb. Some of it may have been in pristine condition, other pieces may have been damaged by looters. Either way, this scattering of objects gives a hint at the vast treasures that greeted Maya and Jehutimos. Last but not least, the two officials may have seen a body. The small mummy of a child lay in a side chamber just off the burial hall. We're not sure who this body is. It might be one of Tutmos IV's sons, 
a prince named Amenemhat. That is an educated guess, but one of Amenemhat's canopic jars was found in the tomb. This could have been a later addition, but still, if it was there at the time, that might have been a solemn sight, a mummified child lying within the halls. Of course, beyond all of those items, there was one thing they needed to check above all. As Maya and Jehutimos crept into the burial chamber, their first priority was the royal sarcophagus. Fortunately, this was intact. Tutmos IV lay within his casket, embalmed and laying in coffins. The body itself was secure, and we know that because Tutmos's mummy survives to this day. The body of this king was recovered in one of the royal caches, where it had been reburied centuries after Maya's inspection. So even if the tomb had suffered violation and robbery, the royal mummy was reasonably safe. The king also had his canopic jars, the limestone vessels containing his organs. And he had the magic bricks, symbolic objects designed to protect the burial. Overall, Tutmose's funerary equipment seems to have been mostly intact. That was fortunate. The king could do without treasures and trinkets. But his body and his organs and his magic bricks, those were essential to his eternal life. Maya and Jehutimos must have breathed a sigh of relief when they saw the intact state of the burial. Yes, there was damage. But mostly, the tomb may have been in decent condition. Having seen these items, and probably many more, Maya and Jehutimos could state with confidence. The king's burial, while violated, was still intact. It would require some tidying and restoration, but overall, things were not catastrophic. With that, the inspection was done. The king's mummy was safe. Maya and Jehutimos could now perform their essential task. They closed the wooden doors and attached new seals. They stamped those seals with the mark of the royal necropolis. This was a jackal or a wolf reclining over nine bound figures. That image, often called Anubis and the Nine Bows, was the official seal of the royal cemetery. This seal appeared frequently in the tomb of Tutankhamun from just a few years earlier. So we can guess that they were used here as well. Maya and Jehutimos would stamp this seal into mud, attached to the ropes. And doing that, they could seal the burial chamber and the various halls. Maya closed the doors of the burial chamber. Then, he turned and faced the wall opposite that door. He took up a brush, maybe carried by Jehutimos or a servant. Maya dipped that brush into a pot of black paint. And with great care and style, he wrote a text on the wall. It said, quote, Year 8, the third month of Aket, the flood season. Under the majesty of the king of southern and northern Egypt, Joza Keperu Ra, Setep Enra, the son of Ra, Horemheb, the beloved of Amun. The command of his majesty, life, prosperity, health, placed before the fan-bearer, the royal scribe, the overseer of the treasury, the overseer of works in the place of eternity, the festival leader of Amun in Karnak, Maya, the son of Iuni, born of the lady of the house, Weret. His majesty's command was to repeat 
or renew the burial of King Men-Keperu-Ra, Tutmos IV. The true of voice, in the noble estate upon the west of Waset, Thebes. End quote. Maya wrote this text on a wall opposite the burial chamber. To this day, it remains on that wall. Assuming Maya wrote it himself, we can say something about his handwriting. The overseer wrote this text in hieratic, the kind of cursive or shorthand version of hieroglyphs. The text is clear, with thick black lines. But the symbols themselves are slightly shaky, as if Maya did not have the best control of his handwriting at this angle. Maybe he wasn't used to writing directly on walls. Also, the ink varies in terms of its darkness. Some lines are thick black, but others are faded grey. It seems that Maya was writing several glyphs at a time, and when the ink ran out, he did not bother to touch up any that had faded. Fair enough, I suppose nobody living was supposed to see it. But it's an interesting detail. In the depths of the tomb, with the candle flickering, Maya wrote out the glyphs, apparently in haste. The inspection was done, and Maya had recorded it. But, oh, wait a minute. Jehutimos was also present, and he needed to record his work. Another text, also in hieratic, appears on the wall, just below Maya's. It says, quote, His underling, or subordinate, the overseer of the estate of the southern city, Waset. Jehutimos, the son of Hatiai, his mother being Iwanehe of the city. End quote. The handwriting is different, slightly scrawled. It looks like Jehutimos wrote them himself. Apparently, he was in a hurry, scribbling out his record after Maya had done his. You get a sense of the haste, as if Jehutimos did not want to keep his boss waiting. He hurriedly added this record to immortalize his work. The officials slowly moved out of the tomb, up the passages and halls. Perhaps they tidied up as they went, and they closed each door as they passed, adding new ropes and seals. They crossed the well chamber and headed back up the passage. Finally, they emerged into the bright sunlight. The Valley of the Kings stretched out before them, its hills silent, drenched in sun. Maya and Jehuti Mose inspected the tomb of Totmos IV. The royal monument had been violated some time before the reign of Horemheb. So on the king's orders, these officials went to that tomb to assess the situation. Their work is a curious incident in the reign of this king, but it is an interesting one. You may be wondering, why did this inspection occur? Weren't the tombs of the Valley of the Kings sacred? Didn't the government guard them and maintain security? Why was this happening now? It's not clear why Maya and Jehutimos visited this tomb specifically. Perhaps this monument was the only one under threat, or at least the only monument that the government knew was under threat. It may have something to do with the location. The tomb of Totmos IV is a little ways off from the center of the Valley of the Kings. It's in a small corner, southeast of the main canyon, and there's only a couple of tombs in this area, so perhaps this little side zone had been overlooked by the police. It may have been quiet enough for thieves to do their work. That's a guess. 
Alternatively, maybe its location made it more vulnerable because it was closer to the main settlements in the area. The Valley of the Kings is accessible by various routes over the hills. Perhaps folks coming from the east, say in the region of Deir el Medina, would come across this monument first. Again, that's just a guess. Maya does not give any details about why this tomb, particularly, was insecure. I think the location is a fair bet in the circumstances. If you were a thief, looking to score some royal loot, it would make sense to hit the closest monument you could find. And if that tomb happened to be in an area that was not guarded as heavily, well, even better. We know that security in the valley had been haphazard in recent years. The tomb of Tutankhamun in the central valley was closed and sealed about 12 years before this inspection. Even so, that tomb had been robbed twice within just a few years of its closure. The exact dates of robberies in Tutankhamun's tomb are unclear, but it's quite likely that those robberies happened within a few months, maybe a couple of years of that burial. If that is accurate, then thievery may have increased slightly during the reign of Ai, or the early reign of Horemheb. Or perhaps, following Ai's death, the region had seen instability. Recently, I talked about the vague evidence for conflict in the aftermath of Ai's reign. Horemheb, the new pharaoh, may have had trouble gaining the throne at first. It is possible that immediately after Ai's death, the late king's son had tried to seize power. We're not sure, but if that is accurate, then the most likely place for that struggle would be the south. So maybe security broke down in western Thebes during those uncertain days. Again, that's pure speculation. But that could explain why things had gone slightly wrong. By year 8 though, Horemheb was well in control. The king's monuments in Karnak were starting to rise. His officials were active in Deir el-Medina by year 7. And soon, work would begin on his tomb, his royal burial hall in the Valley of the Kings. Perhaps in that context, Horemheb was finally able to pay full attention to the valley. And with news arriving about robberies in certain tombs, Horemheb dispatched his officials to fix the situation. We can only guess on the evidence that survives, but what we do know is that in year 8, Maya and Jehuti Mose went forth on their mission. The record of that survives to this day. Thank you for listening to the History of Egypt podcast. Next time the royal official Maya has another job to do. Having completed the inspection of the tomb of Tutmose IV, Maya would now begin a building project. Maya was the overseer of the Valley of the Kings. Specifically, he was in charge of the king's works, his construction projects in that area. So Maya was probably responsible for starting Horemheb's tomb. The royal tomb of Horemheb in the Valley of the Kings is a magnificent monument, a wonderful record of architectural and artistic achievement. Next time, we will start to explore that monument, and get to grips with some of its most intriguing features. 
Again, thank you for listening. We took a slightly different structure today, but this episode was brought to you on behalf of Stephen from Toronto. In April 2021, Stephen made a truly generous donation to the podcast, for which I am most grateful. Stephen, you are too kind. May your monuments enjoy security and stability for 3,000 years. And may your treasures, whatever they may be, remain safe and sacred. Also, I must give thanks to the priests, my top-tier supporters on Patreon.com. Kind folks like Linda, Terry, TJ, Yola, Mykost, Andy and Chelsea, Jason, Kendra, Evan, Kyla, Nidin, Stephen, and Ashley support the show above and beyond any requirement. Folks, you really are too generous. With your kindness, we can hire royal inspectors to check the monuments and guarantee the safety of the ancestors. Thanks to your support, we will make sure the valley is secure forevermore. To everyone listening, thank you so much for joining me. I hope you've enjoyed the show, and I will see you very soon. Game of Thrones and A Song of Ice and Fire author George R. Martin has been inspired by a variety of writers, from Shakespeare to Tolkien to Lovecraft, but an influence on him that's arguably even greater is real-world history. The conflict between the Starks and Lannisters has a lot in common with the Wars of the Roses that began with the Yorks and Lancasters, for example. HBO is premiering House of the Dragon Season 1. Set 200 years before Game of Thrones, it features a civil war reminiscent of the anarchy, which came to the UK when King Henry I died without a living son. History of Westeros podcast has been obsessively putting out episodes on this and all sorts of related topics for 10 years now. Books and shows. All of it. Sometimes with prepared discussions, sometimes with a script, sometimes with both. We have interviews with the people most involved, like George R. R. Martin himself and showrunner Ryan Condal. George has said he designed his books to be read over and over. So, we have. You can find us on any podcast or video platform. That's right. Check out History of Westeros podcast wherever you listen to podcasts or wherever you watch videos. What did it take to survive an ancient siege? Why was the cult of Dionysus behind so many slave revolts in ancient Rome? What's the tragic history and mythology behind Japan's most haunted ancient forest? We're Jen. And Jenny. From Ancient History Fangirl. Join us to explore ancient history and mythology from a fun, sometimes tipsy perspective. Find us at ancienthistoryfangirl.com or wherever you get your podcasts.